Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley Harley Davidson. Today's guest is freestyle stunt rider Damien Kennedy. Welcome, mate. Thank you. Who is uh, who's Damien Kennedy? I was dreading this question. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, sort of like a country raised uh, bar, a boy from um, from the border region of Ireland. Um, nothing really too special. Um, didn't get into motorbikes till I was really like properly till I was like twenty one, um, riding on the road. Um, and haven't really got off them since between road riding and track riding and some trials and freestyle stunt riding has been the, the main sport. Why did, why did you take so long to get into it for one thing and 21 like you must have been a bit of a nutter when you first went out to it? Um, yeah like uh, none of my family were into motorbikes. Um, wow. My father had uh, an XT250 years ago um but never really uh, my parents would have been fairly anti motorbikes um and then pretty much when i we had like maybe one or two small motocrossers like uh, 125s back when we were young but we were always working we were always working on the farm my father had a supermarket so spent most time in that um and then football football pretty much took over like gaelic football mm -hmm. um took over the majority of the time and then when I came to 20, I started, um, I played music for, for a long time. So I played in a rock band from when I was like 17 to 21. And that brought us around the, the, the region around home, um, playing, playing in nightclubs and, uh, and bars and met a few guys through the bike scene. We started doing, um, uh, started playing gigs for bike rallies. So every club would have their annual rally and we go down and play for them and drink with them afterwards and have a good time and that's what sort of introduced me to the motorbike scene and then the big thing back at home was um there was predominantly predominantly only one insurance company that you could insure your bikes through and the money was colossal so you either um didn't ride a bike or you got a thousand cc and you didn't insure it and you didn't stop <laughs> so <laughs> so um yeah w when i turned 20 another company came onto the market and they and they drove the price down so uh, I got my first bike was a CBR 250 yeah. uh, an MC22 and um, I was I was able to afford to get on the road then and get my license and that's what kind of got me out and got me around in the scene. I wonder how many CBR like 250 MC22s are sold in the world. Like uh, I reckon just about everyone you know has owned one yeah. or two or three. <laughs> MC19 and MC22 and and they fetched like like a clean one fetched really good money back in the day uh -huh. like and probably even more so now like um but they were they were awesome i think they revved out to like 19 and a half thousand rpm like it sounded like a 600 coming down the road and i screamed yeah, yeah. i went i went all over the country with um to bike rallies and that and uh yeah it was, it was awesome it was, a, it was a really good introduction and um you couldn't get yourself into too much trouble with it mm. um like it topped out at maybe 105 mile an hour. So when you're going around with guys with like 918 fire blades that they're doing 140 mile an hour, like it's at least it kind of pulls you back a bit. <laughs> it brings it back a bit. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the bike scene like over there? Obviously, there's a fair street racing um, history. Yep. Uh, what, yep. What is the scene like over there? Um, back then when I started, it was pretty good. Um, there was a, a lot of guys out in bikes. Um, where we're from, like the border region of um, of Northern and Southern Ireland, uh, there was a big street fighter scene. Um, so a lot of guys would have had like 918 fire blades, older GSXRs, um, mm. just all the fairings off, straight bars. Um, it was really good back then. The, there was no really law onto bikes. It's It's so different here. Like you could go out, every time you went out, it was like you were entering into Isle of Man races. Like you just... 
you the road was your racetrack and really yeah and like cars were used to it like when you there could be 10 riders out and you'd be a line of cars and you'd just be in out in out in out and you would only have small like the roads aren't the same as here it's um it's uh, small country roads and stuff um but yeah it's you are safer going faster, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially getting around cars anyway. But yeah, the, the the cops didn't really seem to annoy us that much up around that region. Um, the cars were all used to it, um, which sort of uh, goes on to later with the stunt biking, which probably painted us in a, in a different light because there was a lot of road wheeling back in the day. Like um, that's what everyone wanted to do was who could carry the furthest distance on a, yeah. on a road bike on the back wheel. But um yeah, it was it was probably a, a baptism of fire when I got out onto the onto the bikes at, at home. So, so how did you how did you learn to wheelie and stuff? Was that like obviously did you start on the two fifty? Uh, tried to on the two fifty. Um, say tough work. Yeah, yeah, it didn't really work too well. I uh, the next bike I probably rode the two fifty for maybe a year, and then I upgraded to an SV six fifty. Yep. Um, and that's probably when I started um, uh, learning how to slip the clutch and how to balance wheelie and use the back brake and, and stuff like that. So had one or two crashes on that, um, nothing too major. Um, then would have went on to a 954 Fireblade, um, Street Fighter 1, and that had like a, I think it was a 54 tooth sprocket on the back. Nice. <laughs> it's ready. Yeah, it, it's yep. ready to go, yeah. So um, yeah, pretty much uh, on the roads. Um, we go out and... Uh, it, I actually think the wheeling on the roads sort of um, tamed us down a bit because instead of going absolutely 100% everywhere as fast as you could around corners, you'd come to a corner and you'd slow down because you know there'd be a straight after it and you'd, you'd want to try and wheelie the straight. <laughs> so it looks more dangerous, but it's, um, I think it was probably, it, it tamed tamed us down a bit on the road at that stage. Saved you on the corners a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Those... Um like the 2002, 2003 was the 954 Fireblade. Yes. They're a great motorcycle. They're awesome. Yeah. The 929 and the 954 was, yep. was, was brilliant, yeah. And I'm guessing that's sort of why, like, uh, internationally you see a lot of stunt riders having those era bikes, like yep. uh, the 929, 954, uh, 636 or ZX6 yep. is pretty popular as well. Yeah, um, the F4i, the first of the fuel injected 600 the 600s. Yeah. Yep. For road stuff, the the old nine one eight Fireblade, the Carby Fireblade, was a really really smooth bike. Right. Um. For I've um. I think I have one one mate that used to try and he kitted out for stunt riding, but it was it was pretty difficult on it. Um. But yeah, the ninety nine once he went to the injection was was really nice, really smooth. Mm. Um. It didn't the nine five four didn't last too long with me. I think I. I blew two gears in the gearbox within three weeks. Um, really? Not, uh, well, half of my doing, but um, the guy that had it before had had given it a good life. <laughs> but, <laughs> yep. um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they were awesome bike. Um, and then I went from that onto a, a Supermoto, a Husqvarna 570. Yeah, nice. Which was, uh, which was uh, oh, better again. It was um, it was just a completely different ball game of, of ride, road riding. Um, just so much more speed in the corners so much so much more lean to what i was used to and um yeah it was it was it was really good you couldn't stop wheel standing one of those yeah like, they're they're, pr they're pretty good pretty for handy it. Yep. yeah yeah it yeah. gave me a lot of grief though it gave me um a lot of mechanical issues that nobody could really figure out is um, that right yeah. yeah they used to have an overheating problem i think with the 
uh, with the crankcase, put the magnet inside the stator, the glue used to come loose on it or mm-hmm. it used to melt with the heat and then it'd slip round and it wouldn't be firing on the on the right time. So I think I got stranded at a at a rally in uh, Donegal, which would have been maybe a two and a half hour drive from home. Yep. Um not big in the Australian terms, but um yeah it was it was uh, it was well away from home uh, um back there. And um yeah, luckily we had some guys in, in a in a small caddy, I think, so we tried to push it down the road for maybe yeah. half an hour and um, then launched it into the caddy and brought it home and sat there for a long time trying to figure it out. <laughs> I reckon I had a same, a very similar issue. I had a, um, a 520 EXC back in the same yep. time, fairly yep. similar pattern. And I don't know how many times I whipped the stator off that damn thing. Yeah. So it's just having some something you could never diagnose. Yeah. You know? and, and plus, because they're a kickstart, you've got yep. like that half a second to try and diagnose it like at least if you had electric start you could crank it over and, and see what's going on And but but not with that no, no. Yeah, very frustrating yeah cool bike though yeah yeah certainly yeah, yeah. A, a good yeah. era for that sort of um, package of bike you know yeah yeah um, what was the rally scene like over there the bike rallies yeah. um, pretty good back <laughs> at the start um, when I started out in bikes and when I was playing music for them it was um, it, it was really good there was always a big following like we the normal scenario would have been maybe um three bands so people that would start arriving from uh like five six o'clock and then you'd have a, a small local band on then we'd probably be the the middle band or the or the headline band but it was um it was really good like you great enthusiasm from the bikers we always got a, a great scene majority of the of the rallies were mcc clubs and um that's uh, i i ended up in an mcc club for a few years uh, after when i started on bikes um but uh, we've done a few mc rallies as well and um we always went down really well, and they always um, they always looked after us. Um, I think because I was doing the organising, like the managing of the band as well, it sort of helped me get a, a an inside track with them. So it was yeah, it was really good. It sort of faded out maybe probably in 2014, 15, 16, something really? like that. It's yeah, it's 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 pretty dead now. Um, wow. But uh, probably the cops have cracked cracked down a lot more. There's a lot more. There's zero tolerance on drink driving now. And, um, so like that would have been a lot of the issues back then. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How uh, internationally, how times change, hey? Yeah, yeah, Like you, yeah. you know, you, you hear of some other stories in Australia of long before 2004, but yeah, yeah some pretty crazy times internationally. Yeah, and it has to change. Like just, it can't- Got to evolve. Yeah, yep. it can't go on that way. Like if uh, everything's getting bigger, everything's getting more public, there's more coverage worldwide, like news travels in a in a second now, like it's it's- it's not really like it was so yeah. and wh- when did you think that you'd be able to do this as a um like as a as a hobby career passion how when did you think you'd be able to do this more um it probably it was always a um an interest of mine since wheeling on the road like but um i got a i got a trials bike um and then started pretty much just messing around our, our house and on our farm and stuff. And that gave me a really good base for um, throttle, brake and clutch control. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trials bike, um, you can use them anywhere. You, you, you need, what, five meter square and you can you can have a good time on them. So um, probably um, wasn't really into the stunt scene much at that stage or I didn't really know about it until we went to uh, a stunt practice day and seeing some some of the other riders from around Ireland. There wasn't that many, um, but some of them were doing circle wheelies and podiums and high chairs and stuff like that. And hadn't really seen that sort of stuff. So um, that sort of got us into it. And then we had probably like a year and a half or two years of competitions um, in Mondello Park in Dublin and seeing some of the English riders um, and just that fueled the fire. And 
um, started to go from there. Built uh, built my first ZX6, mm-hmm. um, and uh, probably got a lot of. Um, there was no one. There was no one really around home apart from maybe one guy that was um, that was doing this. That was pushing towards it, and probably got a fair bit of stick that it's it's not really you're better off doing track racing or something like that or uh, the road racing scene would have been pretty big um but uh yeah i i I got a lot of enjoyment out of it and i didn't mind pumping money into a bike that i was crashing into the ground 20 30 times a day because i was getting out in the bike for four hours five hours like during the week and and a big day on the weekend like so as long as we had somewhere local to go and we were pretty lucky like we had a a small area close um that that we could practice at and we didn't have to drive three hours to a racetrack once a month like so mm. that that kind of was the the nail in the coffin that that it's not feasible for me to do track riding or because it's it's so sparse and you're depending on the weather a lot so you you might wait a month to to do a track day and then it's washed sure. out so but um uh, as a as a like a mainline hobby probably probably when we started organizing our first uh, competitions um so whenever the the competitions in Mandelo finished up we had a bit of a void and I took over and set up the Irish Freestyle Stunt Series <clears throat> so um, that was uh, we just had a go and said there's an op- there's an opportunity so we we got our kind of branding together and approached um, a lot of different sort of motorsport shows so um, this was just around the time I don't know if you follow international drifting but the, the Irish Drift Championship at the IDC right. had just been taken over by Dave Egan who has ran it as probably one of the most successful drift championships in the world up until maybe last year so he was just starting to take over from Pro Drift and we got our, one of our shows um, or our competitions alongside there which was which was good it was um it was a lot of exposure, I suppose. Um, and then, yeah, our first year we ran uh, four competitions, um, three of them alongside other other motorsport shows, mm-hmm. and one of them we housed ourselves in our in our hometown. And that's um, that's kind of where we brought. Um, what I was saying about the stigma around home about bikes wheeling on the road. Um, that sort of bringing that show to our hometown gave us a lot of good grounding with people like where we brought it into a, a controlled environment had um, a, an arena of hay bales and then another space and then crowd control barriers out around it and we had um, bouncy castles and food fans and stuff like that and basically brought young people old people bikers people who have no relevance to it um, in and they could see that this isn't just like a hoonigan sport it's the, the, they could see how far you're how hard you were pushing how much you had to train mm. Um how on the limit you were like so um yeah the first year there was was a a really good footing for us um we ended up getting a a, a business that had uh, i had approached maybe the year before to use their yard as a as a practice spot didn't want a bar of it and then the next year no problem straight in really yeah yeah it was it was really good yeah wow so is is ireland a um an open-minded place when it comes to things like this uh yeah like yeah. pretty accepting when it comes to you know um, that sort of event. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, like even even the councils and stuff are a little bit more work with the councils to try and um, propose it. But uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty open minded. Um, I think it's uh, probably a little bit more so than here. Um, but it's not. It wouldn't be as as known. I think over here. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty good. There's still a. 
there's still a hell of a lot of work to go in in, in the background trying to to get these um, shows or, or or competitions or or demos uh, across the line. And insurance was the biggest thing with us. Like we we probably spent two years, two and a half years before we really had the insurance thing nailed down where we knew exactly what we wanted. Like every time we would run a competition, um, sometimes we'd go through a broker and then he, there would be a long-winded chain of us to the broker, to the insurance company, to wherever, and then back down to the venue's insurance company. Yep. But um, yeah, it took us about two and a half years before we, we ended up nailing down exactly what we wanted in terms of like uh, limits of liability or, or, or letters and whatever like that. But um, every time, no matter like how early we, we'd, we'd done it, like we paid for the insurance for our local show three months before the event and it still ran down to the day where we didn't know if we had it or not. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Wow. What, just the back and forth? The back and forth. And um, this was the third year we ran the event in this in this venue. And um, the owner was a, was a local business owner and he was he was no problem as long as we cleaned up afterwards. But they had changed insurance company um, that year. And just, just the guy didn't like the sound of it. And he started he a play on words. He wanted different um, letters of indemnity and stuff like that. He was wording it a different way and it would come from him to the company, to us, to our broker, to our insurance company. And it could take a week before it had traveled that way and you just, time slips away, but yeah. As an event organizer, that must be one of the hardest things, eh? Definitely, definitely one of them, one of the most stressful. Um, I think the, on the bigger events, trying to get that balance of keeping the riders happy and keeping the, event uh, organizers and the spectators happy so there has to be a happy medium of um, like the riders for a competition want to go out and ride all day long they don't want to be told when they have to do things they don't want to stop riding mm. but you can't have 20 riders out having a practice in a show that has 37,000 people coming through in the weekend to um, you need to have a show for the spectators and it needs to be you need to have a good MC coordinating it. You need to have structure throughout the day where you have practice sessions. Then you've got like freestyle sessions. You've got, um, we used to run these games like Last Man Standing um, where you could have 20 to 25 riders in the arena and you'd all have to pull a wheelie. Yep. And it was the last person to keep it up. But if you fell off the bike, you had to leave the bike where it was. So like, it was carnage. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, like cool. people would be coming along. Some people couldn't turn circles, then some did hit someone else. And um, yeah, it was, oh, it, it was really good. Um, <laughs> the first cool. year was, was awesome because we had a guy over from France, a professional um, rider, Guy Guy. And he is, he's unbelievable. He is an insane amount of control. And another Irish rider, Derek was going around and Guy Guy came up behind him and he was able to put his front wheel on Derek's shoulder while they're both in a wheelie and just like wow. tweak the tweak the handlebars and try and push him off. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was it was awesome to watch. So that's one of those moments that you sit back and go, like, how? Yeah. You know, how, yeah. How, how do you get to that point? Yeah. How did they think how did you think of that, you know? Yeah. And having the having the pro riders over from from Europe was uh was a great pull for for a show of that size. Like that that was um when we first done the Irish motorbike and scooter show. Mm -hmm. So normally they would have a live action arena and they'd get in, um, get in like a pro rider from Ireland. Um, uh, normally Matt, Matty Griffin used to have it for, um, for, for a long time. Who's a BMW rider. Um, and he'd probably do like three or four shows a day, half hour shows. And then it'd be, it'd be off in between that. So we ran full action, like full competition from Friday afternoon, straight through to Sunday. So there was always something happening. So, and yeah, it was, it was really good. It was constant entertainment and it, it went down well. Yeah. When you, when you took it over, how did you find riders? 
Um, yeah, uh, because I'm one of the writers, I reckon I had a, a pretty good, a pretty good balance of, of both. I knew what they wanted and what I thought I did anyway. Um, try to make, <laughs> try to make them happy. And um, probably the first year we just done our own small show, so it wasn't too bad. But I, I still wanted to make that spectacle, that that show that people can come in and and watch and and be entertained as opposed to like we we used to practice in different spots and people would come down and watch and it, it that's good as well but it's still it's still not coordinated it's not uh, it's just a, a few guys practicing so um yeah the I, I think the writers probably um after the first year probably took when they seen what it could be probably took to it pretty well but um it was always a developing developing thing um the judging was a was a big uh, a big obstacle to overcome on how to judge it accurately. Like we, uh, I, I talked to loads of different um, judges and writers from France and Poland and stuff um, and probably took us maybe by the second, maybe the third year, we probably had a, a fairly good judging system nailed down. Mm-hmm. First year, we just used what we had seen in England before and it was so hard to judge. Like you'd be watching every trick and trying to mark it on a sheet and you end up looking at the paper more so than looking at the run and as the sport evolved and you get more um you get more energetic riders who probably put 10 tricks into five seconds it's you, you can't take your eyes off it so wow. yeah. yeah that's uh, any sport that's judged on a stunt or a coordinated move is so subjective to because you're watching it live it's so yeah. hard like say surfing yeah you know this this surf has done such such turn is it better than the you know when you're just yeah. watching it live it's such a difficult um it's all subjective isn't it all, all freestyle i believe is like that and yep. yeah freestyle all, motocross everything yeah yep. and the thing is it's it's always evolving and it's always changing so what you gave a trick a five for last year that's yep. not a five next year because the people have evolved into the next big trick so if you're marking at a 10 um yeah, I, I actually had a, a good conversation with Julian Welsh, who's um, a French uh, pro rider um, for Triumph, and um, he he gave me a good system where you you average it out. So say instead of you looking at you, your your judging system is broken up into like wheelies, acros, stoppies, um, drifting, and burnouts, and then you've got like aggressiveness and um, mistakes and a crowd interaction, them sort of things. So if you can focus on on one thing, uh, one judge focuses on one area where you're just focused on wheelies, and you sit back and you say the run is four minutes, and you take like a minute of that, and you watch. And you just go, right, that was, yeah, right, that was that, that was that. And at the end of the minute, you go, right, out of one or out of zero to 10, where do I think that is as a level um, or take it in 30 second bites? And then you give that an average out of out of 10. So it means that you're you're getting a feeling of the run apart from looking at every individual trick and you're getting a feeling of that one minute and say that was that was absolutely awesome. Like I was thoroughly I totally enjoyed watching that. So you give them like an eight out of 10 and then you do it for the next minute and next minute and next minute. And then at the end you average that out and that's what your score is. Um, I don't know if it translates over to other um, sports, but smart though. Yeah. It's, it means that you're constantly watching. You're not, you're not worried about, are you marking down the right area on the page? And if it page is too convoluted with, mm. with spots to mark, it's, it's pretty hard. And you're not just going, you're not just going for like an overall, like your brain gets confused after mm. whatever, you know, but if you can just sit down, break it up and then average it out, sound, yeah. it does yeah. make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's probably the, the most uh, 
think it's the fairest way I've seen. And it's the same in every freestyle sport. Like it's everyone, no one's going to be happy with their with their results or not. Everyone's going to be happy. And it's, as long as you can justify it afterwards and you haven't got judges that are overloaded, taking on too much, like so. Very true, yeah. very yeah. true. When did you start uh, stunting? When was it? Uh, what year? Probably, so I was 21, probably about nine years ago now, so. So nine years ago. 20, Social media, like I was just trying to get a gauge of it. Yeah. That must have, in a way, the sport had a peak a, a bit earlier than that probably I feel as well internationally. Yeah. yeah. But the social media thing where you can see other riders around the world doing things, yeah. that's probably driven it a bit as, as a guide, hasn't it, as well? Definitely, yeah. Like um, before that, as I said, like when I started on bikes, I, I never knew anything about this. Yeah. Um, I never seen any of the guys in the States. Not um, I don't really follow the too many guys in the States now. Um, I'd be more on the European side. But um, yeah, we never really seen it. I, I never heard of like, like Lee Bowers come over to the second competition I was ever at and he's like he not anymore but he would have been um, UK top rider for uh, last eight nine ten years something like that and I had never heard of him until he came to Ireland and wow. we, we was just watching him live and I was like holy fuck like, that's that's crazy like yep. yeah so um, yeah definitely 2012 2013 it's, it started to pick up and and you would get more um, you would get more worldwide presence I suppose Um but uh, like I never used Instagram until coming to Australia, and I was very hesitant to go onto it. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> how did you how, how did you progress? Like, what what did you like? Just obviously time, but was it looking at other people or um, yeah. just digging within and finding things, or how was um, it? Yeah, like uh, I used to do a lot of practice on my own back at the start because there was um, there was only one other guy that, that used to ride. Um, and he was he was a bit away like so uh, yeah just rode on my own for for a long time and probably took me a long time at the start to, I think it took me a year to get my first circle um whereas other guys come onto the scene and they jump in with others and might get it in in a couple of months or two weeks four weeks yep. eight months whatever but um definitely the competitions were the biggest progression builder for me because you you go out and you watch the guys from Dublin and from down the south and you see what they're doing and you're like oh yeah I could do that. Like, and I'm going to try that. So definitely in a weekend of competitions, uh, you would have a lot of fun and you would get a lot of good ideas for, for progression. And, and everyone was pretty open. Everyone was very supportive back at home. So they were all giving tips. And um, yeah, it was uh, riding with with guys way ahead uh, above your level was was a big, a big um, uh, progression builder, I think. Is is like freestyle one of those sports where it, it is fairly well open? Like people are pretty good amongst like each other, like sharing tips and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm yeah, definitely one hundred percent. I've uh, I've yet to come across um, uh, definitely Ireland, Europe. Ninety nine percent of the UK guys are all. Everyone's very very down to earth and very very open and just wants to have a good time and and progress the sport like. Um, like even we had, um, I think one of the years before we done the competition uh, in in Dublin, uh, we had Stunter Thirteen come over from Poland, who's probably one of the one of the most famous Polish riders uh, worldwide. And um, then there's another Polish girl that lives in uh, Wolverhampton in England with uh, another mate of ours, Josh, who's a who's a rider as well. So she or uh, she was doing the backup with Stunter Thirteen. I think they they know each other from from back in Poland, but. Um, he came over and he done this awesome show and then he spent um, 
probably like an hour talking to my friend Derek and his son just about like like the basic stuff like yeah. stuff that he probably gets asked all the time but he still gave the guys the time of day to to talk about the setup and then he came out and practiced with us um that night in a in a in a spot in Dublin like so wow. he's like he's got this such this such a high profile but still just a, a modest guy at the back of it and zero ego yeah yep. yeah no no ego at all I think that's where that's probably pushed me off the states riders so much because there's a, a lot of drama back in the day and a lot of egos and stuff like that so that's probably what's why I don't follow that much of the scene over there mm-hmm. um, I think the European guys are um, never really got that that much um, like I've, I've ridden with a lot of um, professional guys that just just want to have a bit of fun that's just it. ride bikes just ride bikes and yep. and it doesn't matter what your level is that was um, that's what I've been kind of trying to to push to the guys here uh, there's a, a virtual competition coming up now um, a what? a, a virtual <laughs> stunt competition okay first first I've uh, I've ended up uh, uh, first time I've ever participated in one but I think it's um, a couple of guys from South America have set it up but um, it was one of my mates back in the UK said oh yeah we should enter this it'll be something to, to drive towards that's you always want an end goal like if you've got a date and, and they always have like a six tricks you're like right what can't I do now that would look cool that I can drive towards yeah. so um yeah, I was uh, a lot of the guys here. Um, I, when I've approached them about shows and the competitions, they're like, "Oh no, like I, I can't do this and I can't do this, and I wouldn't be good enough for that." And it's like, it doesn't matter what your level is, as long as you're pushing your own boundaries. And even if you go out and you're in a field full of pro riders, you're going to feed off what they're doing, but you're also doing something that they're probably not able to do. Like a lot of the the sort of newer riders are a lot better at acro stuff than say the older riders because none of the older riders like doing the acro stuff mm. but uh, they're always going to pick up something of you and you're always going to pick up something of, of them so um yeah i think it's 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 a uh, it's always really good to ride with really good riders and no matter how low level you think you are um it doesn't matter as long as you're pushing your own boundaries and and trying new stuff and mm. just not afraid to fall off and that's, that's the biggest part. That, that <laughs> the ground's pretty heavy. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it doesn't get any softer. The um, um, it's a it's a view that I think should be shared too, like across the you know, stunt world, um, racing and everything. Like, mm. so many people miss out on opportunities to do things by thinking that they're not good enough to be able to do it. Yeah, you know, for sure. and you, you you're only not good in your own eyes. Like, you go out there and. Um, yeah, you mightn't be the fastest or the best. You might be able to do the best wheel stand, but yep. over time, you probably you might get there. You yep. might not, but at least you're enjoying it and yep. doing it yourself. And the more of these higher level or the more professional or more well known people that can advocate for this, yep. the better the better it becomes because everyone's nervous going out. Nobody wants to go out in front sure. of like even if it's ten people at your local spot and do whatever you're doing, like do a little bunny hop, it's the same motocross, you want to be doing the biggest jump that you can, but like you just need to put them to the background and um just do your own thing and as long as you're progressing yourself, that that's it. That's that idea. number one person will still respect you because you're definitely. out there. If you go out and have a go, they'll yep. still respect you, yeah. Yep. Definitely. A lot more than what you would if you didn't. Yes. So yeah. Having a trial spike, is that something that everybody should have as a motorcyclist? I think so. I yeah. think they're they're unbelievable. I actually, I'm just after giving back a little um, a Beta 250 that um, a guy from work lent me for probably the last six months and um, didn't get out on it as much as, uh, as I would have liked, but um, I think they can teach so much and um, so much so much base level control um, techniques that will transfer through to uh, 
any any um, motorbike skills for sure. Yeah, one one of my uh, one of my best friends. He's he's got a couple of them in his in his backyard, um, mm. and I didn't realise I was such a terrible rider until I went for a ride on a trails bike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's so difficult. They are a weird thing, and you're so lazy. Yeah, because like, you want to sit down. Yeah, you know, you're like you can't. oh man, I'm lazy. Yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, good for skill though. Hey, definitely. Um, like. Uh, I done a few trials back at home. I started off. I done a couple of enduro races actually, um, and I think the trials bikes are awesome for that because, like, coming up to a big log, you're you're much more able to get over on a trials bike than a than a, an enduro bike, I would think. Um, but uh, the fuel is is the issue. I think I ran out on the, the last <laughs> lap. <laughs> but um, yeah, I done a couple of trials events. Um, I had a <laughs> I had a mate back at home who um, who was big into it and didn't have too many people to ride with it ride with. But um, I call him Johnny One Leg because his name was Johnny and he had one leg. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so sense. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had a bike accident back in the day. Like he's probably in his uh, close to his fifties now, um, and uh, he had a bike accident back in the day. And um, his uh, left leg was pretty bashed up, and he probably spent about a year, year and a half in rehab trying to to. They kept telling him that it, it'll come back, it'll come back, and at the end of it, he was like, "Nah," he said, "I'm after wasting a year and a half, just chop it off." So chopped his leg off um, above the knee, I believe, um, uh, maybe below. I'm not too sure. But then he got an aluminium leg, and um, the first I came across him was when I uh, I done an enduro race in Todd's Leap. First time I had a, a little gas gas 250, 280. Um, it was like a '96 model, and um, I was I'd never been on the dirt scene at all. I was totally unprepared. I came with a motorbike jacket a big helmet and a pair of textile trousers that I ripped off after like half a lap. But um, I remember I was trying to get up this hill and um, I was stuck halfway up and Johnny One Leg comes blazing by me on a KTM two-stroke Enduro. And he used to have like a spring attachment to the bottom of his fake foot that mm-hmm. he would hit with the gears. And um, he was fast, like on the Enduros. And then when I got into trials, um, I started hanging about with him and He's probably the most balanced man I've ever met in my life. He was unbelievable on a trials bike. And he reckoned if he had his leg back, he probably, he'd have to relearn everything again. He'd, uh, yeah. It'd be strange, hey? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was weird watching him, but, um, and he had no fear. He, he was ballsy. He would take on these massive big hill climbs and drops that I'd be looking at going, nah, nah, no way. So how did his how did his gear change work? What did he have a spring set up or? I can't, um, on the trials bike, I think he just had it loose that he he could he could pull it like he had a little flat aluminium plate on the bottom yep. of his leg that was like his boot, yep. um, and he used to click it into gear that way. But I believe on the enduro he had some sort of a spring setup. I'm not too sure, but wow, yeah. But he's he's done um, track riding as well, like and he got like a little quick shifter setup, and yeah, he's he just lives for for motorbikes. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool to keep, see people keep coming back and back yeah. and back into yeah. it. But he uh, he brought us to a couple of competitions, and when you're saying about like the trials bikes being so difficult, like I'd be going around a tree and you'd be dabbing your foot every two seconds, and then you'd see this little eight year old and on the same size bike as you, and just just round as easy as pie. And it's it's a real good skill set for kids, I think. Like the, sure. the, as soon as they can walk, I'd be putting them on a bike. I think it's a foundation. I think mm. it's some that. Uh, if you want to do anything to do towards motorcycling, it'd be a great thing to to just have as a foundation. Yes, you know? definitely. Yeah, um, even cycling as well. Like it's any sort of biking. Like you see the kids now on balance bikes, like um, when they're maybe ten months, twelve it's months, unreal. fourteen months. Yeah, they're awesome. Like and yeah. and it teaches them good. Um, 
I suppose, uh, I don't know what you call it, um, uh, resilient skills because like they crash, they have to pick themselves back up again, yep. back back on and away you go. Like um, the knocking the, the baby in the side of them, I think is, is good. A good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's just changed. I think yeah. like kids now have the best toys ever, you know, like yeah. to, if, if they want to pursue a career in, in a sport, it is until until a certain age where it gets crazy expensive, but it is so easy to go and the founder, the, you yeah. know, those first few years go out and get balance bikes and things like that. And, mm. you know, once you start to learn balance, it should be with you for life, I, I feel. I think so, yeah. And that's one thing about Australia, like the, the facilities and the outlets that, that you have here is leaps and bounds across what like we would have, we would have known back really? at home. Oh, so much. Like even like every suburb has a really nice park and a barbecue and a, a pump track or something like that. And you've got like your, your, um, the likes of the Sleeman complex where you've got like them little, uh, um, the pump tracks for the bikes or the, the yep. bigger scale ones and skate parks. Like to get a skate park at home, like you would have to petition to the council for years. It's really, oh, it's, uh, it's getting a bit better now, but it's, it's insurance, I suppose as well. It's, yep. it's just people don't, um, don't, haven't got that mentality yet. It's still, so much geared around football around Gaelic like every yep. club will have a massive amount of money pumped into their football grounds and their um, their teams and, and stuff like that but uh, it's starting to come around a bit now like where they, they they look outside the box a bit but nowhere near what you have here like there's there's so many outlets here plus you've got the weather as well mm. so it's it's good so what's it like growing up in Ireland yeah it's um, I, I enjoyed it like um, as I said we grew up on a, on a farm um not a massive farm in Australian terms, probably like 80 acres. Yep. Um, so would have spent a lot of time when I was younger, um, kicked out of the house in the morning and told not to come back until it was dark. So uh, yeah, we used to um, play around the farm, used to help my father um, bring in sheep and cattle and whatever like that. Um, and then, yeah, he had, a, he had a supermarket. So we started working, properly working relatively early, probably like 12, 13 years of age um, in, in the supermarket. Um, but yeah, it was uh, that was a pretty good um, pretty good base for us, I think. Um, then um, yeah, it was it was good growing up. Um, the local the music scene was pretty good when we got into it. It was a, it was a it was it was on the the downturn, but it was it was thriving for that first four years that we were playing. So we were mm. we were flat out like so. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was good. Yeah. I guess having the farm that's what's given you the work ethic to do. Like you've got a full time job now. Yep. You run another business doing the stunting. Yeah. Um, I guess that's probably giving you the grounding for that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely definitely given the given the drive and um I think the responsibility of working in the in the supermarket um when we were younger, like I started as a butcher at thirteen, um and you would have to do every Sunday because that's when the butchers would be off. So you work in your evenings when you come home from school and then probably a decent day on a Saturday and then do do a Sunday where my father would probably be filling in um, and myself in, in the butchery but yeah it definitely gave us a good good grinding um, so what yeah. made what made you uh, come to Australia um, we've probably been trying to come for about five years uh, we're, we're here four years now so we got here in um, 2017 uh, early 2017 um, so like Ireland is a country of, of migrants they, they every generation picks a country and they all go there yeah. so like um Back in like my grandparents' generation, it would have been England. Back in my parents' generation, it would have been the States. Our generation is Australia and to a lesser extent Canada. So like, probably there's a lot of people gone home now, but maybe 
say 15 years ago it would have started just everyone was going to Australia probably maybe 10 years ago probably I'd say like 60% of our sort of age group would have yep. been over here plus or like plus 10 years maybe um, but it's just it was the place to go and when I came out of college um, or uni um, I had planned to go and the guy I started doing the industrial automation with he sort of held a job off for me while I was finishing uni for um, uh, probably about six months but he, he wanted um, four years four or five years kind of loyalty after that so um, yeah I held off for that and started working with him and then um, then my partner Orla um, we were ready to go and then she had finished college and that sort of stuff and then um, yeah a few things come up in the, in the time being but yeah we eventually made the move in 2016 um, and we I've got two brothers here as well so um, they gave me a good insight into what the best route for the visa was yeah. so a lot of people were just coming to work on holiday and then try and get a sponsorship and do your probably two to four year sponsorship and then try and get your residency but um, a lot of hassle comes with that and a lot of um, a lot of loopholes that can catch you out um, uh, so we done a migration visa uh, from home so um on the back of the engineering um, I was able to get that accredited over here yep. and um, do all the exam or the tests and whatever like that to, to get a migration visa for the two of us so once we landed wow. we had a residency um, ready to go ready to go it was it was an investment from home like um, it cost us a bit but it, it would have cost us more if we had it came here and then done the residency or did that process of the few yeah, years yep. and probably would have been harder I think because everything's changing um, it changes from year to year and like now with, with COVID like you would you wouldn't know what would happen so I wanted the, the cleanest way to to get a, a long term residency yep so gives you the security of being here full time yeah yeah what got you into auto, industrial automation um I always had a, a bit of a an interest in engineering um I always like to make stuff um even as a kid like we um we used to do um some stock car racing back um back when I was younger myself and my brother and um yeah we always had like uh, welders and grinders and that sort of stuff and yep yeah being on a farm like you kind of had to fix stuff as well so uh, that's part of it I yeah yep. yeah but uh yeah it seemed like the the cleanest way for me to go through like um I, I'm not the, the most academic uh of people like uh I'd rather be doing stuff with my hands than 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 learning maths and stuff like that but um yeah um mechanical engineering my older brother that's that's um lives in brisbane he tried it and uh and pulled out after a year and then went into like industrial design um right. so yeah i think that was it was going to be too in-depth for me but the industrial automation seemed to be a, a good mix of um say like electrical and programming and mechanical and stuff like that and it was yeah it was i i really enjoyed it yeah so and and that's what you do now like that's your uh, yeah, so it went from industrial automation to manufacturing and design engineering. Yep. And um, when I come over here, um, that's what I do now is, is design engineering. But um, it was a bit of a process to get into that. Like um, I I thought it would have been a lot easier arriving in Australia to, to jump into a job. Yep. But um, I think we, because we, we done some traveling on the way over. So we left in November 16 and stopped in Southeast Asia for three months and toured around uh, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, bought a little motorbike in Vietnam and drove around the place. Nice. Uh, went, tried to go north to south and then we hit monsoons in the center, so we sold it and then busted by there. That slows things down pretty quick. Uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially when you've got no way of drying things over there. It's it's it's, it's hard. Yep. But um, 
yeah, I came over to Australia and um, started off, uh, I think maybe three or four days after I arrived, I was steel fixing on a, bid, a bridge in Jimboomba and um, done that for a little while. And then I was um, taking days off from that to, to knock on doors to get engineering jobs and then taking more days off to go for interviews. And then I'd lose the steel fixing job. So yeah. um, then I got into um, uh, fabrication. So I would have left the uh, design and the automation back at home and done um, fabrication for about two years. So, um, like uh, effluent treatment plants, um, stainless steel pipe work, that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, so still kind of trying to, to get both sides of the spectrum with the design and the hands-on experience. So that's probably, that's definitely the best thing I've done so far. And it's, it's stood to me, um, a lot, uh, over here. So, um, I done boiler making and, and sheet metal kind of fabrication for probably a year and a bit over here and then jumped into a hot rod shop down in Meadowbrook, which was, uh, pretty cool. Yeah, so you you must have went to Osrods, yeah. Osrods, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, worked for Graham, um, not for a, a, a massive amount of time, probably about six eight months, and um, yeah, it was really really cool. Um, was that a learning curve? Yeah. Oh yeah, the, like my um, car mechanical knowledge would be pretty slim. Like I can I can rebuild a bike in a day if you want, like but yep. pull a car apart and nah, I'm, I'm pretty bad on that. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely a learning curve, and and they do some really sick stuff down there, like. Uh, like even like setting up brand new chassis and diffs and stuff like that. So yep. I kind of went in um, to do some exhaust work. So um, got to do a, a build a full exhaust system for a, a V8 Pajero, um, oh, which, really? is a, which is built for a film back in the day. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, that was good. And then done some chassis work with them, some panel work, body work, which isn't really my sort of thing. Um, I'm not a fan of like light gauge stuff, but well, yep. not light gauge, but panel work isn't isn't something I'm- That final um, finish sort of work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and plus like a lot of it is just tack work and grinding it all down, which yep. um, I, when I was fabricating at home, like doing the pipe work, I, I had a real interest in, in like high-end TIG skills, TIG welding. So like walking a cup and pipe work and stuff like that, I always wanted to get stuff really schmick. Yep. So like grinding down a well to me is, is torture. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Wow. But it was good, yeah. yeah. And then obviously you've um, you've ended up where you are now. Yeah. Now you got a bit of a story to get there. What what was it? Yeah. Um, so I actually had started another job in between Osrods um, with another Irish company um, down in in Meadowbrook, and um, it sort of was really slow when I went in. So I, I started asking around, and I got given um, uh, the company I work for now. I got given the boss's number, and um, yeah, so I rang him up and. Uh, told him what I'd done and again the, the hands-on stuff plus the engineering sort of stood and that's what kind of probably grasped him on the phone yeah. and he was like yeah when, when can you come in for an interview and I was like now let's go yeah. <laughs> so he was like right um, give me the address and uh, so I got changed and grabbed my resume and um, was jumping in the car and uh, um, he uh, he rings me up and he says uh, can you um, or have you left yet and I said yeah I'm just in the car about to head in now he goes right change your plan I want you to go to Brisbane airport you're going to meet a guy at the gate and you're going to go into a meeting with uh, Qantas catering so this is at the domestic airport and um, I was like okay no problem so with the engineer or the uh, automation like um, uh, it was pretty much a, me and, and the boss so it was a one man band so I'm used to being thrown in the deep end in, in, yep. in situations so I landed to the airport and um Met one of the one of the main um, main guys at at the gate. He gave me a short, and I landed into uh, a meeting with the head of the maintenance engineering for Qantas Catering and um, and a couple of other guys. One guy for our company who I hadn't met before, but I I 
should have known I suppose uh, been thrown into a meeting yep. and um, that was fine he he told me on the phone he said I don't want you to, to do anything just just go in and see how you get on and um, so that was fine but uh, there was a I think there was maybe three projects going on and and I had done a lot of uh, refrigeration uh, large scale ammonia refrigeration at home and um, there was a refrigeration aspect of this project which I didn't know and about 20 minutes into the interview or into the meeting um, the manager or the maintenance manager turns around to me and goes so you must be the fridge engineer and I was like yep that's me so probably the next half an hour was solely directed at me and only it was an area I I had a bit of experience in Um, I was able to (laughs) mumble my way through it (laughs) how lucky is that yeah yeah it was good yeah Um, so that was basically your interview yeah, I think so. I actually went in probably two days later for an interview and then started the following day. Yeah. And to this day, I still don't know what the plan was to throw me into that. Like, I've never really heard. But, um, yeah, it's uh, I've heard it's been done to a lot of people, something similar. But um, it's probably a good way to gauge your character, I'd, I'd imagine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, to see how you obviously deal with uh, customers, for one thing. And yeah. then, obviously, yeah. technical knowledge goes pretty quick. Yeah. You'll find out pretty quick when they're in a situation like that, I guess. Yeah, then. yeah. It's good to have the, the gift of the gap, I suppose, as well. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's huge. That's, that'd be uh, for someone that wouldn't uh, has trouble facing new people. Mm-hmm. Gee, that would be hard, hey? Like you yeah, obviously don't so, have yeah. any issue with that. Yeah. But people that – there's a lot of people out there that would just – I can't see – I can't talk to somebody new without knowing yeah, all without this. Without being prepped and knowing exactly prepped. what's going to be sure. on the agenda and stuff like that. But. And especially – this is sort of my background of work as well – engineering-wise – not most a lot of engineers don't aren't forward facing people as well no as no. well so that'd be a difficult thing for a lot of people so. i find um some of the like really 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 good ones um are the ones that probably lack in the in the social skills or yeah. the, the people skills not lacking them but wouldn't be as as outgoing and, and stuff like that or come across as blunt or or um yeah something like that but yeah can work yeah. out the most incredible mm. incredible work um yeah. but so socially, it's a it's 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 a different thing, and it's just a very incredible technical ability. You know? well, that's why we've got sales guys. Yeah, that's um, why they're there. They, so. yeah, they they butter them up, and then we figure it out. Come in with the rest for sure. Yeah. Um, so that gets us to Australia. In between, you've done a little bit of stuff overseas in that too, the stunts as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In um, like Poland and that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I went to the I started fabricating fabricating in. Um, done that for about two years and then we knew we were going to move to Australia we kind of had nailed it down that we were going in in the end of 2016 and I was like there was a a hell of a lot of stuff that I I hadn't done uh, in the stunt scene back then so I'd done we used to go over to England once a year and do Santa Pod uh, for the British Stunt Championship and went to London for SBF uh, done a competition outside Wembley there and I ran the the Irish um, the Irish scene and actually um, after the first uh, Irish motorbike and scooter show I got um, offered the job to um, run SBF um, at Wembley uh, the following year uh, so that's um, sponsored by Ace Cafe in London um, right. and uh, really really good opportunity the girl that runs the Irish motorbike and scooter show um, route uh, she was awesome she was so helpful for um, for contacts and we kind of clicked pretty well um, on, on the organisation side of stuff like there's probably like six months of background organisation on, on that show but um I just started a, a new job and couldn't really devote the the time that was that was needed to do it and um, to and to do it well and plus it being in in London it, you'd have to do it all remotely until or up until a few yeah, weeks before so yep um so yeah then um we knew we were coming in 2016 so I was like there's 
loads of stuff I haven't done. So I said, um, right, I'm going to quit my job in May and I'm going to head to Europe and I'm going to try and do as many competitions and ride with as many high level riders as I can and just see if I can progress myself a bit. So, um, yeah, um, Orla, who's my partner, is, is always pretty supportive of these things, even though how stupid they are. Like, and <laughs> you're, you're, you're planning to migrate to a different country, you need to save all your money, and then I go off on a whim to, to Europe for three months to, to ride my bike and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so uh, bought a van and kitted it out with a bed um, above the bike and stuff like that. And um, route from the from the Irish Motorbike and Scooter Show, um, gave me a bit of sponsorship to drum up uh, riders from Europe to come over for the for the next show, which was, would have been the year after I went over, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, um, headed off um, to England um, to to our friends in Wolverhampton and stayed with them and had a bit of a ride. So that was Josh and Monty who Monty who rode with um, Stunter Thirteen at the, the Polish yep. guy, and um, yeah, then headed to France and went and met Guy Guy and Nico. Um, who would have came to Ireland for the first um, competition that we done in the RDS, uh, the Irish Motorbike and Scooter Show. And then basically just Facebooked random people in different countries to, that were in the same scene to, to go and ride with them. So um, hit up a, a couple of our team in Belgium called Twisted Freestyle and um, just looked them up on Facebook and said, oh yeah, I'm thinking about going to Europe and thinking about going to Belgium. Said, what's, what's to go and having a ride and stuff? And um, a guy Kim Kim Van Hoek got back to me and um, he was like yeah mate for, come on up here and um, yeah we've got a big spot you can you can stay with us you can ride whatever like that and um, so I went to France and, and stayed with the guys for probably like uh, a week um, and two of them haven't got much English at all so it was mainly Google Translate um, between <laughs> it and having a few beers yep. and, and stuff like that but um, cool. then drove up to uh, drove up to Belgium and um, had a bit of an ordeal on the, on the way up because uh, I, I blew the turbo in my van probably two months before going and I had to put a reconditioned turbo in and it was just giving me all kinds of dramas. Like, what van? Ford Transit? Uh, no, uh, Citroen Relay. Oh, so okay. would have always uh, driven Ford Transit yeah. um, and then I wanted something a bit bigger because I wanted to put the bed above the bike. So I built like this hinged bed that I would hinge it up off the wall and strap it to the roof and then I'd run the bike in and then I would drop it in nice. and the bike or the bed would sit just pretty much on the bars and it gave me enough room that I could get into the bed and when I turned over at night I could just like rub my shoulder off the ceiling so perfect um, <laughs> but yeah yeah it was good it was cozy yeah yep. <laughs> and um so arrived into Brussels and hit uh, hit came up and then went out to his spot and ended up he put me up for a week in his in his house and um it was it was it was awesome it was I'd never experienced such hospitality in my life um, really like uh, brought us out to ride every day, brought us to to see the city, brought us, um, we went up to a place called Lomel, um, which is uh, just in North Belgium. And mm. it's this brand new industrial uh, area on the side of a canal, which uh, leads uh, obviously out to the sea and they, and they use it as a port, but um, there's no factories on it. So it's probably like a kilometer off just a concrete pad. And it's, it's unbelievable. It's probably wow. like one of the best stunt spots I've been in. Um, and met met uh, met a lot of guys there, some German guys and um, some uh, Polish guys, and then, yep, headed off to the first competition was a few days later, so headed to Poland um, to do the first round of the Polish Stunt Cup. Um, again, didn't know anyone there. Messaged the organizer. Um, I actually knew knew one guy um, 
uh, Martin Kloaki is his, uh, his name. He came over to Ireland as well. Um, and he's, we'd have a lot of sort of Polish friends through the Polish guys we rode with in Dublin. So mm-hmm. they would have stunted back in Poland and migrated over to Ireland and we would have had some good connections there. And um, arrived at the Polish Stunt Cup and um, yeah, stayed with the organizer for <laughs> probably, it was only supposed to be a couple of days. And I ended up um, busting my engine in the qualification run or just after the qualification run in the practice. Um, so I was doing a podium, which is, um, I was doing a circle wheelie with one foot across the bar and uh, I high-sided the bike. So pretty much I was stuck in that position across the bar and it just pancaked on the ground. And um, the cage pretty much put pressure on the engine and bust the side of the engine. Split the case. Split the, yeah, split the case straight yep. through to the, to the journals. Uh, um, that was the third engine. I'd done it back at home probably uh, eight months before that, but it hadn't split internally so I was just able to weld it up and throw it back in so um, what was this on a 636 no it was a Triumph so 675 oh really Street triple yeah so I changed the Triumph um, probably in 14 maybe something like that 15 they're a good stunt bike like you don't see too many of them around for, for stunting so is they are they yeah. a good stunt bike you see, you see a good few in Europe um, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they were getting pretty popular when I when I got one um, they're the frames are a little bit weak they've got a pretty much the cause of that problem is uh, a bit of a design flaw on, on Triumph's part. So on the left-hand side, you've, or normally you've got your frame comes down the outside of the engine and bolts in through your engine mounts. And that's where we normally take our crash cages off, like your bolting point. Um, so on the left-hand side, the frame comes on the outside of the engine. On the right-hand side, it comes on the inside of the engine. So the aluminium of the engine is the first thing to take the impact from the from the cage if you do fall. Mm. So... Um, bit of a design flaw normally if, if people make steel frames they um they come to the outside of it again or um what i ended up doing is making a different style of cage that takes the pressure away from there and it had like um a sacrificial plate in between the two the two mounts that takes the impact and bends the plate instead of busting your motor wow um but i ended up having to make that in poland <laughs> yeah okay and buying an engine in poland so for, for that competition uh for, so i i i bust the engine in uh, just after the qualification run I didn't actually qualify so uh, I think I was one place off qualification so um, I ended up uh, one of the guys that was at the competition rides the same bike and he had a, another engine um, but he was way up in, in North Poland so he drove back the next day and then shipped the engine down to me and I changed it in some guy's uh, back garage and um, in Poland where we probably had one guy that spoke English there the rest of them was just hadn't got a clue but it all got easier once you started drinking you, yeah. they all just understood then you chip in <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey what a journey yeah seriously what? that's a that's a big journey hey yeah well that, that was only the start of it I think um, I ended up putting the engine in and then driving directly to Czech Republic for another one yep. and then um, bust my cage there and then after that competition drove from Czech Republic straight through Poland back up to the guy who sold me the engine um, and stayed with him for a week and, and rode with him and, and he made me a new cage uh, for the bike and then we went to a competition in North Poland and um, I think I uh, got into the practice probably five minutes into the practice I flipped a stoppy and um, something happened the, the, the bike wasn't running right and um, I thought it was the, the cam sensor had taken a, a bit of a or sorry the throttle position sensor had taken a knock of the frame so I pulled it off and took the sensor off, which I shouldn't have, and then they're set from factory and couldn't find um, couldn't find another sensor. So that was pretty much me out of that competition uh. again. Um, and it turned out it was actually just a really simple problem that the throttle bodies had come out of the of the rubber mounts, and I didn't take the time and look. I just whipped it all off, being 
doing stuff in Haston. Yeah. Yeah. So um, ended up went back to the that Polish guy after that competition again and got a new set of throttle bodies and headed to Germany um, to do German stunt days, which was like a, not so much a competition, more so like a week long sort of event. People come like on the Tuesday and just camp out at this massive abandoned runway and just go go mental just wow. just do whatever they want and then Saturday Friday and Saturday they, they open to the public and they do a big show um, yeah so um, went to there and um, Josh and Monty had actually came over from, from England to that competition as well but uh, when I got out on the bike it still wasn't running right um, and probably spent a day in a field beside an airfield pulling all the stuff off my original motor and swapping over and changing on the on the new motor and eventually we got it going we we had to manually set the throttle position sensor while it was running it would it kept dying out at like 6000 rpm so but we got it going and uh yeah we got two two good days riding there and yep and that's probably when i decided that because i was supposed to have two weeks off in poland and then head back over to east poland for another competition and then go up to Lithuania for a competition called Ghetto Games, um, which uh, I'm raging I didn't end up going for it because it's like a, a freestyle festival. So you got freestyle soccer, basketball, skateboards, inline skates, wow. stunt riding. And it's just like they take over the, I think it's uh, Vilnius in, in Lithuania, uh, Latvia or Lithuania, I can't remember. Um, but they basically take over the city and run all these this like freestyle festival. So it looked awesome. And, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, but I uh, I kind of pulled the pin and and went home and then uh, I should have actually because my partner was supposed to fly over to to Lithuania to meet me and then we drive back and uh, I should have ended up just flew home for two weeks and took a bit of a breather and then flew back left the van in Poland or something and yep. and go on but um yeah I ended up coming back um uh, two months into it and then done the. British went back over to the British Stunt Championship um, probably like two weeks after that because um, kind of felt bad I was supposed to do it on the way back and I came back too early so um, I was trying to promote the the show for um, the Irish motorbike show for the following year so I ended up um, heading back over to Scotland and driving down with um, one of my mates Graham from Scotland um, and competing in that and then um, yeah back home done one more competition at home and then we we sold everything and Made the move. Wow. Mm. Get, like looking back at that now, does that seem like a bit um, like coming to Australia where you, you, you've, you've probably travelled a similar distance but you'd be in different states? Does that just seem unrealistic now? Like thinking that you've travelled to all these places to do that? Does, does, does it seem a bit unrealistic? Like not unrealistic but does it seem like a bit of a dream? Like that you've been and done all, yeah. been to all these places doing this? Yeah, I still think like um, what was I thinking like um, – I suppose because I had massive anxiety back at home um, where quitting my job um, yeah. it's it's a bit different here like you see people job hop here even when they're in their 50s and 60s like it's because um, you'll always get another job or even moving house like it's it's a completely different mentality at home if you're in a full time job you would not dare do anything to jeopardize that because really? yeah it, it's so hard to get into another job especially if it's um if it's like a an engineering job or something like the criteria or not the criteria is so hard but the, the there's not many people trying to get into them jobs like they they were pushing engineering degrees for years like when when we were in school and then all of a sudden you've got a massive amount of of engineers and you've you've no you've no work um Mm. So like uh, probably the same as as here where they they sort of push the, the the graduates and the uni students and then now they're back pushing the trades and stuff as well. But um, to quit my job and 
and head off on my own. I think heading off on my own was the was the biggest uh, sort of thing because you any anything that happens you've got to deal with it on your own in yeah. places that people don't speak English. So it's huge. Yeah, yeah. it was good. It was like once I got on that boat, the first boat. Um, yeah, it, it just started to to disappear, and then you'd get in situations and stuff like that. But you so, overcome. So when you when your car broke down that time, like when you did the turbo. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was before I left. Actually, that was in uh, in Ireland. Oh, that's still okay. Yeah, cool. so yeah, that was yeah. probably maybe two months before I left. Yep. Uh, then that was kind of like, do I pull the pin or do I try and get a, a refurbished turbo and yep. stuff? But uh, yeah, um, it left at like <laughs> on, when I was driving across, like on the on the route to Europe um, or to say Poland, like the van would go into limp home mode every every couple of hundred k's, and you'd uh, really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like. Um, when it used to happen back at home, I'd, I'd pull over, I'd stop and I'd turn it back on and I'd go. When I was in Europe, I was on the autobahn, so I just put the clutch in, turn it off, back on again and away you go. Don't even stop. Yeah. But on the way home, like it was happening every half an hour and it would happen five times, six times in a row. And you'd have to, you, you'd be praying that it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't keep going like so. Um, yeah, so uh, it was a bit of a, uh, it was all right. I, I kind of had a fair idea it'd make it, but um, if it broke down, fully there like yeah uh, i don't know what what way you'd go it it yeah. just costs you a lot of money to to get out of the situation like so yep yeah that's uh, the thing i think anywhere sort of thing if you're away from home like you can get out of things but it just ends up costing you a lot more mm. than what it would have around your local area yeah. plus i thought i lost my van on the way over coming coming out of france heading for belgium how why <laughs> <laughs> bit of a yeah looking back <laughs> it's a funny story now like and I, I don't know how i done it but um when i was driving from france up to belgium it was um it was really coming down. It was probably like uh, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And yep. I was trying to get to Brussels and um, the van was acting up and the heavy rain. So I was like, right, I'll just pull into some of these big truck stops and I'll sleep there for the night and then I'll head to the hostel the next morning. So I pulled into this truck stop and they're driving on the right-hand side of the road and I'm in the left-hand drive van. Or sorry, right-hand drive van. So, mm -hmm. you'd, yeah, you're on the opposite side. And um pulled into this truck stop and um, this massive one and... Um, jumped in the back of the van and went to sleep and then the next morning um, jumped out and went into the supermarket to, or the shop servo to get a, a shower so they, they're all pretty well set up for, for truckies and stuff there um, like the big the big truck stops here yep. and uh, the road houses um, the showers were, weren't working so um, some guy in, in the shop tells me oh, I'll go, go up to the restaurant and um, there's showers there what I thought he said there were showers there and because um, no one's speaking English so I went up to the restaurant and I asked the woman up there and she was like, oh, go down the stairs and there's showers there. So I was like, right, okay. So I walked down the stairs and uh, there's no showers there. So I was like, ah, I'll, I'll leave it. I'll, I'll go go on to the hostel and I'll, I'll, I'll sort myself out there. So I, I walked out and I looked at the car park and the van's gone. And, uh, and like I had stickers all over the side of it because like, I, I got a fair bit of sponsorship um, back from home. Um, so yeah. I, I put all the names on the, on the, on the side of the van and I stood for probably about five to 10 minutes looking at trying to retrace my steps. And I was like, the car park, yeah, that's the car park. There's the shop. I definitely came out of there, went in there, trying to retrace my steps. And I was like, van's gone. And then I started getting paranoid that um, when I got out of the van, I thought somebody at the shop was looking at me. And then I was like, I had a spare key in the side pocket of the van. So if I lost me, my um, main keys, uh, while I was in Poland, I could break the window and use a spare key and at least I could still drive or drive yeah. home and whatever. And so I had my spare keys in there and I had my wallet and my passport was in the van. And I was like, somebody's after 
robbing the van. I need to report it quick before they get off the motorway and whatever. So I went into the supermarket and uh, tried to explain to the non-English speaking person um, that my van was robbed and, and he rings the police and uh, the police uh, are talking to him on the phone and they asked me where I went and I said, um, yeah, I came out of, the, out of the van, into the shop, up to the restaurant, back down and it was gone, like three minutes max. And um, they kept asking me about this restaurant. Like they asked me like three times and I was like, I was only there for like uh, like two or three minutes. That was it. And what I didn't realize, and I don't know how I didn't see it, is the restaurant is actually a flyover over the motorway. And so I had walked into one shop and the, what the guy was saying in French was that the showers were broken in this shop. So he used the identical shop on the opposite side of the motorway. So it's two servos, same company, but they're absolutely carbon copies. And then the flyover is actually the restaurant. So I had walked into one shop, up to the restaurant, across the flyover, down to the other shop, walked out, thinking my van was gone. And like, it was uncanny. Like everything was exactly the same. The gardens were the same. The Caribbean was the same. Where the coffee machine was in the shop was the same. Yep. Yeah. And the only reason I've, I kind of realized is a truckie had come across um, to do the same thing. And he asked me where I was going. And I said, I was going to Brussels. And he was like, oh, your canyonette is on the opposite side of the motorway. <laughs> oh. so, and then it dawned on me and like I came out and I looked up and there's this massive flyover with massive, massive lettering saying restaurant. And I was like, how I didn't figure it out. I didn't see it the night before because it was, it was coming down and yep. it was, it was pretty dark. So what? Yeah. Oh, that would have been stressful though. Not too bad at the time. I was probably more stressed afterwards. Um, yeah. and just thinking like you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so I instantly rang my mate back at home and told him the story and had a bit of a laugh about it. But yeah, um, that's one of the ones you got to tell someone quickly. Yeah, you got to yeah, get it out of your system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, imagine losing all that stuff too on you. You know. Yeah. Passport. I, I think I still have my wallet. Um, so I was, uh, I was confident I'd get home if the bike was gone and the van was gone. Yep. Yeah. What about it then? At least you could still get home yep. and you'd, you'd, I don't know, you'd be able to get a temporary passport or you'd something. Figure it out. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. When you came to Australia, how long was it before you bought a stunt bike? Probably about um, maybe about eight months. Um, so yeah, I was, I was saying before like it was. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot easier to to jump into a job. Um, yep. And it it was. It's definitely a lot more about the contacts that you know um, mm. or the contacts you have than um, than what you can do, I suppose. Um, because a lot of um, a lot of people I would have known, like my my brother and our friends over here, would all be in the construction trade, and I was trying to get into one engineering and then um, fabrication. So. Um, yeah, I uh, I ended up I was uh, yeah, we were down to like our last hundred dollars at one stage, and then I, I ended up getting into a job in um, in Kerperu in a in a fab shop, and held that for probably eight months or a year, and that sort of set me up. But um, yeah, so it took took me a little while to get on my feet, and we were living in my brother's house, and then we moved into a rental and stuff. But um, yeah, it's probably about eight months before I got the I got the stunt bike. Um, and how was the scene when you when you did arrive? How was it? Um, when I come over first, I'd, I'd sort of prepped, uh, or not prepped, but um, I contacted a few local guys, um, Bobby Stevens, who um, who does a lot of the, or did, did do a lot of the media stuff, like the photography and stuff for us. Um, I'd hit him up uh, the year before I was coming over, said, oh, I'm, I'm heading over to Australia, I want to see what the scene is like, and yada, yada. And um, so he uh, he brought me out for the first, um, brought me out to the practice spot with, with no bike, like just to, to say hello and yep. chat to the guys. And yeah, it was cool. Um, different to um to the scene back at home and, and Europe um would have been a lot of uh, straight line stuff um fast straight line stuff uh, a lot of supermotos um not not all fast but um 
not so many people doing doing circles and combos and and stuff like that so yeah um yeah but it, it, it was good yeah so and you know ha, ha, like progress was it better here or was it worse or took just me, different uh yeah I, I was knocked back probably it was probably close to like a year and a half i was off the bike um mm. from when i sold before we before we left until i got a bike here so um i was on uh, and then i was going from a triumph to a 636 so took me um some tricks i got back in straight away some tricks just took me a long time to get back and still trying to get back to some some tricks that i was able to do back then i don't know whether that's just i'm getting old or yeah <laughs> but um yeah progress was um was slow at start but uh yeah it, it it was okay um it was not uh, i suppose it, there wasn't as many riders doing the the same sort of high level stuff that i would have been used to um back in ireland and 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 europe so there wasn't as many guys to, to feed off but at the same way they were doing a lot of stuff that i wouldn't have done before like the straight line stuff um so started to get back into doing straight line um uh faster straight line stuff when i come over here which is uh is good because that's the way the scene is going it um it started off back in the day was just everything was fast aggressive but all straight and not much technical stuff and then it changed um to like slow technical wheelies circles um which is really good but it's kind of boring to watch after a while and then probably when we started running the competitions um and the european guys come over it was just a mix of both it was all the technical stuff but at fast speed and it's just it's evolved like that now like now you see guys out in competitions and they're doing circle wheelies they're not doing circle wheelies in the sta- in the center of the arena they're doing circle wheelies at speed and they're clipping each barrier wow. which is between like probably like two feet away from the spectators and they're coming around big fast wide circles and then they dip it and take off straight and everything's everything's technical but fast and aggressive so it was good to get back into the into the straight line stuff and that's sort of what our aim and now is the is the fast aggressive riding because it's it's good fun and it's good to watch like yeah it's exciting isn't it yeah yeah definitely exciting yeah. is is the biggest trouble with it trying to find practice area oh yeah 100 percent. that's the biggest yeah area. i think so yeah um f- trying to find a spot that's uh that's um good enough to ride or like good enough to ride but that's uh, flat and consistent and um, like concrete is normally inconsistent it changes from one yep. pad to the next like trying to find a bitumen spot is 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 the best but um, yeah and away from away from the public where you're not annoying people and away from um, the police where they're not uh, not worrying about you and somewhere where like the, the owners will let you in so um, yeah, yeah that's it's, it's, it's tough yeah tough part eh? yeah I think the um, the good, I think the good scene and, and the way we tried to do it at home as well, like, um, is, um, well, I, I got like the van wrapped here now and I've all the bikes wrapped and I just try to, try to show them that it's not a hoon thing. It's, you're actually a professional out training. You're, yeah. you're not just practicing, you're training and you do shows and you do competitions and stuff like that. And just trying to make it get or get them to understand that it's, uh, it's a, it's a professional thing and you're not just. Mm. out to damage property like or because um, that's one thing like you like with your businesses with it it is professional like you look at your fair and you look at everything that you yeah. do it comes across so professional hey? yeah that's that's good that it portrays that like um I, d- I definitely think that's a that's a big thing and and the way you um the way you condone yourself with with organizers and with spectators yeah. and stuff and uh, yeah it, it has to be professional like where do you see the sport going here pardon where do you see the sport going here um it's hard one to call like it's uh it's 
I, I do see potential in it. it there's a lot more potential as a profession, professional sport over here than there would be at home. I think events are more inclined to, to want... Uh, well, first of all, there's a lot, way more events. There's, uh, there's more avenues to go down. There's regular events. Um, I think they have they have money to 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 get this sort of thing, to get the, these sort of um, live action. Um, and people here haven't seen it really. They haven't. They've seen the the big stuff on the tracks and whatever like that. But a lot of places haven't seen, uh, or they, they think that they can't take that sort of sport into a smaller area. Mm. Like I, I done a show in Walka in um, two years ago, so 19. And um, it was it was amazing. Like um, it was supposed to be a massive festival and um, the festival got, uh, the guy went bankrupt probably like five, six weeks before the- Ah, oh, is this the one that's gonna have a hill climb and yeah, flat track in it? Freak show festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, yeah, that, that that looked absolutely amazing, like a hill climb and a speedway and flat mm. track and, and all like that. And um, so then he the, the organizer rang me about um, six weeks before it and said that um, he'd gone into liquidation. And uh, I was like, geez, I, I felt I felt really bad for him. And um, then I he said to contact the guys down in the Walker Royal Hotel. Um, and he said they were still thinking of doing something. So um, I rang Brad down there and um, uh, he put me on to the council and he said, yeah, we still want to do something and uh, we done a we done a deal so I could still go down, sussed out. I went on Google Maps and tried to suss out a few places in the in the in the town that would uh, would be suitable. And um, yeah, we, we, we got it going and uh, they had such a task ahead of them. Like they had four weeks to organize this festival and then it was right around the time of the bushfires. Um, so when we were driving down, I think the town was surrounded on three sides at fires and yeah. so a lot of people couldn't get up from the south uh, a good few people made the, the long trip around just to just to support it but um turned out to be one of the one of the best festivals or one of the best events i've been to like it was it was three days of uh of uh, good good times um met a lot of friends down there and uh, we, we ended up invited ourselves to um brad's daughter's wedding <laughs> wow um but uh yeah so i was i was meant to go back down there last year and then it was cancelled um just when the when the covid piked up there with the uh, new south wales and um but yeah we're back down there uh, this year 21 so um when's that gonna be november yeah cool yeah. so about the same time as what they're gonna have for the first yeah yeah they, they keep yeah. it um they call it the 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 walker motorcycle rally now so but um yeah it's it's, it's such a nice town i think it's um because I haven't seen that sort of small town mentality too much here. Like we've been in, we haven't toured that much around Australia. We've been to, stayed in Brisbane and we've been down to Melbourne um, to see uh, Orla's, um, Orla's sister and, and fiance a few times. But, um, and the only time I've been touring around, I've been working or, or doing shows. So um, yeah, we got to drive down and everyone was waving when I was driving through the town. It's like, this is like being back in like my hometown, back at home. Like, so yeah, yeah. the van adds a lot to that. I suppose you see the big, the big, yeah, the, the big, big band. Like so, yeah. And it yeah. looks, yeah, like we were saying before, it looks good. It's, yeah. uh, it looks very professional. There's something coming through. You think like a race team's coming yeah. into town yeah. or something. Yeah. That, uh, that is a beautiful town, Walker. Yeah, it's yeah. it's awesome. And and that Walker Royal Hotel, I fell in love with that. Like Brad had done such an amazing job in it. Like he's, he's basically got all the scrap of motorbikes parts all over the years and he's built all these statues at the back and he's made like this little... Um, 
this biker beer garden and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah, it, it was really good. Because they support, obviously, motors Like, it's linked to probably one of Australia's greatest roads, which is the Oxley Highway. Yeah, yeah. And they support motorcycling. Oh, sorry. Motorcycling supports the town so much. Yeah. People coming through that town always, you know. So, yeah. Good spot. Yeah, I'd actually... Um, Brad was telling us a, a, a story about... Um, because obviously the bushfires had just came through there. And, and again, this is all so foreign to us. Like we live in a wet, wet country. Like you couldn't yep. light a bushfire with a can <laughs> of petrol. Like, <laughs> But um, I think maybe like uh, three or four days beforehand, he had um, he had a property that he had sold a few years ago, but he'd, he'd still got some trucks out there and some stuff. He used to maintain the property for a guy down in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And um, he was out there and uh, him and the fireys were on, on the land trying to fight the fire. And... They said we need to go. Like there's only one access way out of the out of the property, and he was like, "Nah, I'm I'm going to stay." And uh, if it gets too bad, like he he said he's going to park his truck in the middle of the paddock and fill bags of water. And if it got too bad, he'd jump in around the bags of water, and it, they'd be the first thing to melt to to douse him and cool him down. And I was like, "That is the craziest thing I have ever heard." He just said it like it was, "Yeah, sure, that's that's what I'll do. That'll be fine." Wow. And he was he was fighting the fire with um. Uh, like he had a, a big tank tank, <coughs> and he had a bucket and the bucket couldn't fit underneath the tap at the bottom of it so he drilled a hole in the top of the tank and then that would spill out into the bucket and he, he'd run and, and douse a, a log with, with a bucket of water and then <laughs> run back and by the time he'd come back the log would be in fire again and uh, this was just so crazy to me like and yeah. and uh, I, I when we were leaving there I had said to him like um, oh whenever you're you're going to go out and rebuild like let me know I'd I was so keen to take like a month or six weeks off work and just and just come down and camp out at the place and, and help him rebuild it. Like it was a, yeah, um, it would have been such an awesome project. Because that's proper Australia. You yeah. Know, that's the, yeah. I think that's a, such an Australian way, you know. Um, yeah. You would have had a good experience, I think, there. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. But um, plan, plan to, we had planned actually to go down uh, for the show in 20, in November 20, um, and take like two weeks and... Uh, spend a few days around Walca and then head down to Bathurst. I've got a, a mate down there who's actually a, a park ranger who oh, wow. get, gets dropped into the, the centre of the fires with his um, pico and a chainsaw. And, yep. and um, So he's got some good stories and then we we're going to go down to Sydney and see some mates there and then come back up. But um, yeah, that all got sort of uh, pushed to the wayside when, when the COVID thing piped up. Yeah, that's been definitely a pretty difficult um, situation, hasn't it? You know, mm. with a lot of things. Yeah. Do you uh, do you do any enduro riding now? Like you're saying, you did that bit there. Do you do anything yeah. now in Australia? Uh, I've done um, done two events here out in Aratula, um, just yeah. on a I think it was on a a, a mate's um, CRF 450. Yep. But um, I had planned to plan to get into 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 more of it. I actually had an idea this this year of. Um, of trying to go for the Fink, um, wow. but not as like a, a competitive. Uh, it was actually from I watched. Uh, I think it was your initial podcast with um, with Brian oh, Farrow and, and him talking about doing it with the Harley. And I thought it'd be a cool thing to to get maybe a team of like five or six guys together and not go to be competitive. Just go to finish it and to have a bit of fun along the way and a few beers in the evening and then and then yep. do it. But um, I'm struggling to find guys to do it. Uh, I, th- I think I'm seriously underestimating it, but uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I actually haven't looked that much into it, um, into the into the intensity of it. But um, what yeah, would you, flo- what would you do it on? No, um, uh, when I was listening to Brian and talking about the the Harley, I was um, 
I was thinking it'd be cool to do it on uh, one of them new FTR-12s, the Indians. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously not. Uh, it'd be pretty hard to, to go and buy one and, and do it. Uh, um, it'd be a pretty costly bike to do it on. Um, I don't know. Um, probably something like a, a Tenere or something like that, like maybe. Yep. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a pretty foreign sort of area for me. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe I'm biting off more than I can chew looking to go to that. The, a couple of guys I just sold one of my uh, one of my bikes um, three weeks ago. Yeah, and one of the guys I sold it to is uh, as a group of them. They're going out for the event just yeah. as an adventure. Yeah, and yeah. Going to go out like I had an adventure bike. So they're going to go here, here along the way. Yeah, like oh, I should have bought. I shouldn't have sold that to you because that would be unreal. Like, what was it? Uh, I had a Triumph Tiger eight hundred. Yeah, 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 XC, yeah. XCX. I loved so, it. It was good. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. It was just um, just time, you know. I'd had yeah. it for three, bit over three years, I think. Yeah. And um, done everything that I ever wanted to probably probably do on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I miss it yeah. a lot. It's, it's awesome. But uh, I'll get something else along the way that's an adventure Such a nice engine, though. Them triples, Great like yeah. Like, I fell in love with the street triples, and um, a mate of ours, Dewey, um, he had a, a tiger as well, and we done a, a trip from um, from. Deborah up to Kenilworth off road, oh, yeah, and yeah. I was on a I, I had a KLR, oh, not KLR, um, uh, uh, GS650 Dakar for oh. for a little while over here that I was driving to and from work and yep. yeah we went we went off road and that and it was uh, it was pretty good. It's nice um, up there. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, Kenilworth uh, is pretty cool. Yeah, mm. but um, no, the triple motors. It is like you know the six seven five motor when it came was an absolute game changer. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple of 1050 triples yep. and the 1050 is awesome. Yeah. Uh, only disappointment I do have is they should have made a Daytona 1050. Yeah, I think okay. that would have been really cool because they yeah. did the Daytona 675. Yeah. To see a uh, super bike in the 1050 or the a larger capacity would have been really yeah. cool to see. Well, they've got a they've got a 790 now as well, don't they? Or 765. 760? Yeah. 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 Yep. Which is yeah. the base of like the Moto 2 motor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is yeah, same deal. Really good yeah. package, but. Uh, there, um, when we were asking about the the Triumph as a as a stunt bike, um, I think the frame, uh, and the design of the engine and frame is probably the, the only drawback I could really really see with them. Like um, wow. everything else is a. Uh, um, they're a little bit of a shorter bike, but the engine is just so much fun. There's so much torque out of it, and the sound, the sound just yep. just lights me up. Yeah. Now they're beautiful. Definitely a um, definitely. A cool and they've set the way. Like you've got your MT 09s and stuff now. I've, I've just yep. came out after them and and the sevens. Like, but well, the sevens are parallel twin. But what's your drift bike? Uh, it's K5 GSXR 1000. Oh, the last of the good ones. Yeah, yeah. The oh, they're they're ones. all good, but. They they had a killer motor. Yeah, so that came from a a, a drag a drag racer um, that mm-hmm. I was doing a bit of work for. So it was his spare bike, and I was making um, a set of sidewinder headers for his drag bike. So um, pretty much, he wanted to drop the front and put a put a, a dry sump on it. So you want to get the the bike as low as you could yep. to the ground. So I ended up making him a set of um, oversized uh, header headers for the for the K five um, and used. The K5 I bought of him as a jig, so yep. yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, it was my first like um, big exhaust project over here, and done silly, silly but um, tried to make a four into one merger myself, um, which yeah. uh, it was fine, um, but just a lot, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't but, it amazing, like uh, exhaust work? How much goes into it? Hey, oh yeah, yeah. Like just things like for my old race bike my my best friend Jono he put a 
he put so much time into making this custom pipe set up for me. Yep. And I remember just looking at the, just the real little things like heat coming through here. Yep. This radius here, like yeah. so much, hey? Yeah, it does. Um, if if you can't bend the pipes as well, if you haven't got a mandrel bender, it's yep. uh, you're you're going into like heavy time and doing pie cuts and stuff. And uh, yeah, if you or if you haven't got a consistent way of of chopping angles to the correct angle that you want or bends to the correct angle that you want you, you have to go down the, the lines of pie cuts and pie cuts look absolutely amazing but they're very time consuming like yep. yeah but um yeah it, it it turned out pretty good um i ended up having to change it uh we we designed it and made it all fit the bike and then when he when he ended up he put it on his uh, it wouldn't fit um and the design i copied was an American design that they don't run a coolant system. And ah. this is what he said to me. I was like, what do you mean they don't run a coolant system? Because yeah, some of these drag bikes to shift uh, as much weight as possible, they don't run a radiator or an oil, oil cooler. And they just run the exhaust uh, as close to the head as possible. And then they do one run and then they kill it as soon as they get to the end and, and freewheel it back, tow it back. Or, wow. So um, I ended up having to chop it apart and, and reroute two of the two of the headers. But um, That's so, I understand it, but just not something you'd ever have to think of yeah you know yeah. you think yeah but yeah i bought um i bought a k5 um uh, an old uh a spare bike of him and then um started to set that up as a as a drift bike so how's that uh, go yeah yeah it goes pretty good um had some issues with the uh when i got a first the tank was rusted in in pieces the pump had flakes of rust everywhere and like the whole sump of the pump was was completely full with rust wow. so i pulled that all apart um chopped the top of the tank off and uh blasted the inside of it and then fabricated up like a flat top tank put the pump back in and it ran well for a while and then we started getting some um issues where it, it would lean out under under load so i think i was actually up in Nambour doing a show um farrow uh, brian farrow and the team were up there as well and um just whenever I'd, I'd power skid off the, off the start and then you get up through the revs and it had start leaning out and um, turned out it was just, uh, it kept rusting out the inside the tank and sucking up um, particles into the pump mm. and um, brought down to the guys in ProCycle Dyno and um, they put a new pump in it and then the same issue happened um, within probably uh, a couple of days and then we ended up changing out the tank um, and then she's ran really well since. So it's been, um, yeah, it's it's good. It's been, it's been interesting. I, I, brought it down to Port Macquarie uh, to a drift event for its kind of debut hadn't really had much of a run on it and the plan was to drift the track um, uh, possibly alongside a drift car in, in Port Macquarie yep. but um, hadn't uh, hadn't got around to setting up suspension and it just it was so sketchy like it would it would either low side and spit you off or it would just grip and high side you off so um, wow. yeah it was um it was fairly volatile but it was, it was fine for like a straight line stuff where you got the, the main straight in the track you could do big fast um side to side snake ones and try and clip the white lines on the edge but um for consistent drifting around the corners it was it was pretty hard um but so what do you do to make it a drift bike swing arm extension yeah i i put i I got the smallest extension I could find. Uh, I was going to uh, fabricate or manufacture some some myself, and then I found a, a cheap set over in Perth. So um, talked to a few of the, the French guys. Um, a guy called Reggie R- Rual. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but anyway, he judged for us the first year in Dublin, and um, he runs the French Drift Championship, the bike championship. I don't think it's still running now, but they had a championship there for a while, and they normally run it on smaller kind of go kart tracks and mm. tandem bike on bike that sort of stuff it's pretty cool to watch yeah it's pretty awesome um, 
so I, I chatted to him and he was saying like keep it like no more than 100 mil extension because you see with the massive big extensions then you're going to lose your speed like it spins up too easily and I wanted it to be uh, a fast aggressive looking bike but I just wanted it to be a bit more predictable than a standard a standard length but yep. um, um, yeah so pretty much just a bit of an extension and I went up to uh, probably like a 50 tooth sprocket 54 tooth sprocket um, and that's pretty much it just run a cage and away you go and like is it a crappy tire? Like what? No, heaps um, of pressure or anything like that? Yeah, uh, like on the on the stunt bikes, um, like we used to start at when we were starting stunting, um, a lot of people would run flat tires, like run five, ten, fifteen psi. Yep, and that's fine to get um, to get straight line wheelies and um, and get rid of the side to side sort of balance issue. But when you start turning in circles, it always wants to put you back onto the center of the tire. So we started 30 and it took us longer to get to circles. But when you did, you weren't worried about it uh, pushing back into the center. And then you could still drift. You could still do burnouts. You didn't have a flat tire for yep. that sort of stuff. But then probably maybe uh, shortly after we started doing circles, then a lot of the older guys were... Um, we're running higher pressure. So I think I went to 60 pound of pressure and I've probably stuck at that until recently. Really? Yeah. And it makes like the, the fast wide stuff, it makes it really, really good because you can bank the bike over on, on the sidewall, edge wall of the tire and you can just keep feeding throttle and it's not going to, it's not going to give. And then consistent. Yeah. And then with drifting, it's, um, it's, uh, it's pretty consistent as well. Like, but, um, tires we find run running good tires is is just the best um because for drifting you want to um you don't want it to be sketchy you don't want it to be skatey you want it to be predictable feelable and you just push it beyond that limit so like um back when we were starting like the michelin pilot uh, road ones yep. were, were pretty good then they started getting sp- uh, scarce so then we went to road twos road trees we had a bridgestone sponsorship back at home um uh, from from a local garage, um, and then over here I was just running whatever I could find for a while, and then I've got backing from from Shinko now, so I run Shinkos and everything, um, yep. and they're they're awesome. Like they they're um, they're a little bit pointier uh, on the on the stunt bike, so that's when I went back down to probably 30, 40 pound of pressure in the back, yep. um, just a little bit more like more the wavy. Pro, the profile's a bit a bit a bit, a bit higher in the center, yeah. Yep. Same same size, but just seems to be different to say a Michelin or a Bridgestone. But once I dropped it down, it's it's pretty good, and and they feel they feel pretty predictable out, out, out along the edges. But you want to have that feel. So uh, I think the drifting is all about just being as smooth as you can, um, and having the space to be able to push it push the bike out to the edge and mm. um, like not being restricted so if if you're in a tight space then you have to be sort of choppy on the throttle because you can't go that far you can't you can't let it slide out but yeah it's um i'm only starting to get get it dialed in a bit now like i've had two practice days out of queensland raceway there um last week and two weeks before that the the first one was um was a little bit uh I was probably too too aggressive on the front brakes trying to hold it back too much to get around the corners instead of like because I'm still sort of on the racing line yep. um, whereas the last day um, Josh who normally does the photos for me he's he's got a fair bit of experience in car drifting so he was sort of spotting for me and saying right instead of taking that line there take it wider flick it out to the end and do a, a big flick to, to flick back to the other side to take the, the next left hander but it's um, trying to like you need a little bit of front brake just to keep everything under control and 
sort of consistent and keep the back wheel moving or spinning. Um, if you release the front brake altogether, it'll just run out of legs. Um, and I, I put a quick shifter on it recently to try and start pulling gears mid corner to to sort of contradict that. Yep. But um, yeah, um, I think just a, a little bit of front brake, but um, then sort of on that transfer where you're you're going from side to side, your your danger parts in in the center of your tire, so you're trying to like go from full bank right to full bank left. Um, but it's 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 not it's not bad. Um, I've got the lock stops cut off, so you got a bit of extra lock. Um, yep. I think that's probably the biggest necessity on them. It looks crazy. Yeah. Like it looks cool. Yeah. Like, I must say, it looks, yeah. looks really cool. Um, yeah. The first first day I was out, like, um, because this this is the first time I've had a, a big track to play with where there's room to let it to yeah. let it let it use its legs, like. And inside my helmet, I was like, this is absolutely mental. Like I'm coming around the corner and pushing towards the end and it felt really fast. And then I looked back at the footage and I was like, oh, that looks crap. It's like really slow. Wow. <laughs> um, but then that's the same as like everyone's critical of their own stuff. But the last day, um, last week when I went out, it was definitely a, a hell of a lot better. Of, um, I was supposed to have um, a guy from uh, from Coomer there, uh, Scott Townsend, to, to come out and do drone. He'd done the first day with the drone footage and... He was going to come down the second day, and then his his alternator bust itself on the way down. So, um, but I got a got a bit on board and got a bit of side um, track footage, and yep. Josh has got some good photos as well. But yeah, I'd like to I'd like to push that more, and and again, it's just getting somewhere to use it to to practice it. Like yep. it's all seat time, because um, if you go out, the only time I've really had it out has been at shows, and you just go out and you have to put on a big show straight away, and you get no practice time, and just straight into it. Yeah, and that's probably the dangerous sort of side as well. Like if you push stuff beyond where you haven't had the seat time to practice it, it's uh, it can get sketchy. But where do you, where do you see it going? Do you see that being like if you're doing it, more people are going to be doing it? Um, do you see that thing being like a series here or something as well, maybe? Like I a, don't, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Like my main goal for that is to, like, I want to get it inside in alongside these big events because there's, there's nobody, there's nobody else that's really done proper drifting um, on track and especially alongside a car like um, uh, Lukey Luke down in in, in Melbourne has, has done has done a bit. Okay, so you've seen the BM. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that yeah. was cool. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And there's a French guy um, who's a. BMW sort of like a test pilot and yeah. he's on uh, the thousand hours um, back in France like, and he's probably the the only guy I've seen worldwide to do proper full on drifting on track yeah. um, like uh, I've seen plenty of like uh, born outs and stuff like that but to, to, to be able to take on a track and uh, I think the biggest challenge with it is entering the corner at speed um, and that's what I found the last time um, the the Jigsaw is great but it it has a a, a soft spot down low so if you're coming in into a corner and you're backing down third gear second gear um, uh, and you try and hit it in the low ends like it, it sort of bogs and that's exactly where you don't want it to bog because it's just going to high side you off you want it to spin and then you need to attack it so um, I actually talked to, to Fred at Pro Cycle Dino so we're going to um, go and take it in next week and put a Woolwich tune on it yep. and try and, and get that uh, uh, sorted out down low and after that, I came back and I was I was chatting to Josh and um, and a few other guys. And now I'm thinking like initially I wanted to get a big bang R one for a drift bike. Um, I seen Bill Dixon in the states on it and it just looks so aggressive and their them cross plane engines are are torquey. Mm. So now I'm sort of I'll I'll try this one as long as I can and if a big bang comes up cheap or crashed or something like that I I might jump on that. Um, 
because uh, yeah, like the through the corners and feeding it out of the corners is is predictable. Um, but if you want to come in, especially the the main goal for the drift bike is to put it alongside a, a drift car and go tandem and be able to yep. yeah and be able to keep up with a drift car like um whatever about if you're able to keep the corner speed I don't know but being able to pull out off off the corner pull gears while you're still um drifting and tag behind them and then being able to scrub enough speed coming into a corner because obviously a, a drift car can pull the handbrake and scrub speed going sideways. Yep and can probably just power on at whatever 60 k's an hour you try and lock a, a a bike up sideways and try and scrub speed like that you're just going to high side straight away so you kind of have to back it in scrub speed that way and then while you're leaned over start hitting it but yep. if you've got a bug down low it's uh it, it's the it's gonna, it's gonna throw you 100 wrong time to have so is that. that what you do you come in you're you're coming in like obviously a whole lot of rear brake yep that's the plan and then yeah. hopefully not bog and then at the minute because I got that bog I was the last day I was out I kind of focused on um, coming backwards into the chicane doing a 180 um, uh, uh, most of the boys when they're, when they're drifting say on the stunt bikes will start off with a 180 and then they feed it out of that so I was coming on the back chicane of Queensland Raceway um, middle of the chicane do a 180 second gear just a very light bit of front brake and hit it while it's um, it's over on the sidewall of the tyre and then just feed it out out to the outside of the corner and then give it another big flick and then back the other way and then take the next two left-hand corners. Yeah. But ideally, um, I, I was trying to come in uh, to the to the chicane from the straight the two weeks beforehand and I just had to scrub too much speed. I was I was trying to hit it in third gear so I'd have lots of legs to get through the corner and put, put out a lot of smoke. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, you just have to scrub too much speed and then you end up using too much front brake to engage it. But if you come in and you back in and try and hit it while it's while it's sideways coming into the corner, I think that's the the more predictable predictable way to do it. But very cool. Doesn't uh, I ended up washing out on the on the chicane the, the first weekend. I um, I came through and I went to flick it to the opposite side and just washed the front out and landed on my head. <laughs> but um, yeah. It's it's fun. Like it, it it is a lot of fun. It's it scares the hell out of me while you're coming through and you're you're powering on and you you want it to slide towards the outside of that corner, but you're always watching the the grass and uh, and the rumble strips and yep. and I'm having a, a couple of issues with the quick shifter where it's um if I put the sensitivity too high, it's giving me false shifts. So if you're coming out halfway through the corner, then it's it it bogs down or yep. it 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 kills the time for kills the ignition for whatever 75 milliseconds like that's enough to to put you into the grass i suppose pretty quickly yeah yeah what oh, i can't wait to see it in real life yeah okay. i had it at um i had it at lakeside there um for the father's day um just last year um yeah. it, it was it was really good it, it put on a big show there and just along the main straight and then around the back end and it was it was pretty cool like yeah i just can't fathom how you like it's the same process as a dirt bike. Yeah. Like you c it can be done because you see it on a dirt bike yeah. happening, I guess. Yeah. But just with all that grip just blows me away how, how it's done. Yeah. Um, that's why like, I've seen a few boys back in the UK and they've got 600cc drift bikes and it doesn't really, I don't think it's, it's okay for small areas and stuff like that, but it, I wanted to put on a big spectacle. I wanted to become a sideways out of a corner, yeah. billowing smoke off the back and being able to fill the straight. Um, that's that's what it's built for like so that's kind of why the K5 appealed to me yep. and it's only now where when I'm getting some proper seat time 
um, on track that I'm seeing, right, this is where I'm lacking, this is where it's good. So, but it's getting that track time. It's um, not many people want to, um, to think it's too dangerous, I suppose. Um, yep. And that's why I, I don't know if I see it being a, a, a series here. Um, I can see it if, if if we got the opportunity, if we could get in places and people to take a punt on it, I think it, it could put on a really good show, like a, a car versus bike show. I think it'd be awesome. Be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I don't think they've they've really touched on that over here. Um, and the same with the stunt bike, like the co- close proximity stunt riding with um, with uh, a drift car or something is is good. And we've we've done it back in Ireland with um, some stunt coordinators, like um, the guys that do the stunt car driving. Um, yep. So it's it looks good like if it if it's coordinated so so we got Walker for later in the year November yep. what else can we see from you this year mate um, should be down in Springwood actually just next door here uh, probably in the next month or so uh, for Ultimate Kawasaki um, bike night it's, it does be pretty good um, it pulls in a big crowd so Pete clears the the front area um, where he normally has the bikes and gives me that and we try and put on a big show in there um, no limits on burnouts and smoke and stuff there so um, then down at Vogue probably um, they they run a car show there once a month so I had my first one there two weeks ago with, or sorry one week ago with them um, and hopefully be back now for the next one or, or maybe the, the one after that um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of an, a lot of inquiries out um, everyone's still pretty apprehensive with the yep. whole situation and stuff and um, a lot of councils and stuff are not wanting to commit I suppose to, to stuff in case they, they'd have to cancel within a day's notice um, yeah. but uh, got, got a few different avenues happening like I'm working with um, the circus school in, in Brisbane flip side uh, we've done some work for them um, installing some um, some temporary uh, dome structures for their for their school and yeah we've um, we've proposed a couple of shows where we coordinate or sorry uh, collaborate acrobats and stunt riders and stuff yep. like that so there's there's a there's a few different areas I, I think there's a good market available in it um, uh, like there's lots of uh, council sort of shows and city shows where I think it could benefit um, but again it's um, it's having that uh, that weight behind your name to to get them to to sort of take a go on it or just give you the time of day I suppose mm. that's but, a hard um, part eh? it is yeah and it's all about it's all about connections and who you know and, it's and like how a job. you Huh? Like you're saying about the jobs, isn't it? It's yeah. like who you know. Yep. Yeah, 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 and how how you present it, and um, we always try and make the shows as um, like a, a an all rounded family sort of events. Like so, after every show, like we we pull the bikes in, we get all the kids to come in, and and they can sit up on the bikes and get pictures with 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 ourselves or with um, with uh, with their parents and sign posters and stickers and. Then um, I've introduced my partner Orla into the show, so she does sit on and do some tandem tandem bike stunts as well, which is yep. a people um, they get a shock they don't really expect it so um, she's normally on the on the side and then whacks on the helmet and then she's on the bike and we're doing wheelies with her in the middle so nice yeah it's good yeah very cool mate where can yeah. people find you online um, so Instagram is uh, DK Freestyle uh, Oz AUS and then Facebook just DK Freestyle and then I have a website dkfreestyle.com um, but uh, yeah Instagram's probably probably the main one and um yeah, if, if anyone has any sort of festivals in their town that uh, think they could uh, use a bit of entertainment or excitement, uh, I'm definitely keen to to spread spread around as much as I can. 
Awesome. And definitely check out the website. It's got a lot of other detail and stuff about yourself and that on there as mm. well. So anyone listening, make sure you check that out. So yeah, thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, no worries. Enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll have to try and catch up at one of the events. I'm really keen to try and get to Walker. I yeah. wanted to do that when it first came about the flat track thing. I was like, oh, this would be yeah. cool to come and race. But uh, yeah, hopefully they do something like that again. Because that flat track, um, that flat track thing is uh, something that interests me as well. Uh, I, I was actually in with Brian. Uh, it was one day we were coming back down from from the sunny coast and called in, and he had that Harley that um, got sent back from the states. So the one that oh, yeah. he rode, yep. that he flew over and built over there. Yeah, yeah. So um, he had it up for sale, then I was like, oh. Man, I'd love to give that a go. Oh, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was, like, just when you were saying about the drifting, like, I was, like, I was watching, I think it was um, Mitch uh, Harwood, I think I was seeing a picture of him there recently, and it's just, like, he's just full lock, and there's no brakes at all, like, and I don't know how different it is to um, to doing it on a drift bike, but I know I know on the drift bike, like, it's, um, like, you're at full lock, and you're over in the sidewall of the tyre, like, and it's, it's sketchy. Um, I don't know how it feels, like, when you're on the Harley and you've got no brakes um, and you're you're over like that, is it is it easier to control on dirt or I I probably can't imagine. It I don't is. know. I haven't slid it. I haven't slid it far enough yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to see Mitch the other week when we we're out there uh, Saturday two weeks ago, mm. he looks so good. Like yeah. he's just high on the dirt and it was, yeah. it was just boy, just full lock up yeah. to the fence. Because Mitch would have started. Well, I don't know if he started, but he would have been out in um, practicing with us on when he was on the two strokers. Yep. Um, and then when he was on the on the Harley as well, like on the on the road bike. But his yeah, progression's been good, eh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm actually um because they've got a show next week up at Big Boys Toys. Yeah, the Daimler. Daimler, yeah. Daimler show. Yep. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna try and get up to that um to see them like um because uh, uh, Liam Walton that rides it as well he would have he would have started or he would have been down with us in um, Paxton in Brisbane before he moved up and went to Harley's and um, yeah Brian Brian's a nice guy as well and, yeah top well, guy yeah, yeah actually total like good crew amongst everyone that's sort yeah, of up there yeah. and, um, and I like really what he's pushing done with the shop as well yeah pushing yeah. it forward as well which yeah. is good so and pushing stunts forward with the Harley side so yeah yeah and it's it's something different as well um, yep and then like uh, yeah, he's done some great things up there. Like that, the uh, the ladies' bike night and stuff was 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 pretty pretty good thing to run. So he he seems to have a nice niche there. So yeah, he does he does a great job. And I just need to slow him down. He's too fast on the hooligan bike. <laughs> so I just don't want to get lapped again. Because yeah, you you, you ride as well, that don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah so. How did you go last week? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I think it was the best best it's been out there. Yeah. Uh, like it was it was a practice day, but the track was unreal. Like yeah. uh, well, especially the first session. But uh, mm. yeah, it's just good. It's yeah. just fun, you know. It's just yeah. proper good fun, and it's just being on a motorcycle with a group of yeah. people that are all there for the same reason, which yeah. is fun. Because I met Dallas afterwards. He he came down to the show yeah. afterwards, like, That's and, right. and he was uh, he was saying he was out at like that guy covers some ground on uh, yeah. like every weekend, just yep. different events, photographing weekdays, yeah. weekends. Yeah, yeah he, he, Dallas he does a doesn't, lot. Doesn't sleep. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. So yeah, he he did uh, that day. He did the hooligan stuff with us. Then he yep. went out to town and watched the Conor McGregor fight. Yep. Then he went down to you guys at Meadowbrook. Okay. Then he went out to something else over the night time. Then he mm-hmm. went back home that night. He, he was out for 15 hours photo yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, yeah, everyone's been subscribing over Christmas break, and that's been awesome. And, uh, yeah, we've got plenty of other good shows planned for the rest of the year. So thank you. Good. Thanks. Thanks, mate.